0: I want to read you something I read on the internet just now. I'm a woman in my early 30s, and I'm a virgin because I don't like being touched. The older you're like this, the more of a freak other adults consider you. Guys complain all the time about head cases and girls who don't put out. I get very angry and sometimes sad about it. Nothing can be done for someone like me. As far as I'm concerned, I would be better off dead. What's the point of living in a world like this? CBT is a joke and, and has not worked for me, End quote. So clearly this person is suffering greatly because they don't like being touched or they can't tolerate being touched. And therefore, she has trouble in romantic relationships. And she has sought help for it. So kudos to her for seeking help. She tried cognitive behavioral therapy and apparently it didn't work for her and now she sounds even suicidal when she says what's the point in living so having a fear of being touched is an extremely debilitating condition that can make life very difficult for people and when i read things like this i'm i'm reminded of how much we need closeness with others and one crucial element of closeness is what i might call affectionate touching you know whether that's romantic couples touching or or friends hugging or this just putting a hand on one's shoulder or just being close to someone, um, kissing your romantic partner, shaking hands with a friend, even, even high-fiving or fist-bumping someone. All of these things are what I might consider to be affectionate touch, a connection with other people. We need affection and physical touch in our lives. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that, I'm a big proponent of human touch and how most Americans do not have enough of this in their lives, and this affects their mental and physical health. And sometimes we think of just children needing affectionate touch, but no, we, we need it throughout our lives, men and women, people of all genders. Every human being needs physical touch in order to survive and in order to be healthy. Today, I'm going to present research on touch the way it affects us, the way it's used in therapy, and some thoughts about our culture. I'm also gonna talk about what they call phobia, or the fear of touch, phobia. Welcome to the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle. I'm also a professor in that program, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist, this episode is just for patrons of the podcast, so if you're listening to this and you're not a patron of the podcast, this episode will end before the content begins. If you want to hear the full episode, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. Patrons get access to all premium episodes on their phones or on the Patreon page. And remember that 20% of your monthly, monthly pledge goes towards various charities that we support. All right, welcome to the patron Zone, patron Zone people. Thanks so much for becoming patrons. We love you very much. So I actually have received two emails in the same month regarding touch, one from patron Hillary and another from patron Cindy. And I wonder if they know each other and they're just trying to make sure I talk about this topic. But anyway, patron Hillary wrote in and said, so many great episodes, thank you. So you've mentioned in previous Podcasts about how important touch is to helping people feel grounded or avoid dissociation, etc. Would love to hear more about the psychology of touch. Why is it so important to emotional health? What happens when it's lacking? What treatment orientations incorporate it? Really curious. Thank you so much. And patron Cindy wrote in and said, Great podcast. I have always been interested in psychology and found your content informative, intriguing, and hilarious at times. I have a possible topic that I have been trying to wrap my head around. I read an article a while back that the fear of touch, that is, screaming at any touch, and the dislike of touch, that is, slight recoiling from an airport pat-down, are different. So Patron Cindy is saying that the fear of touch is different from the dislike of touch. But aren't these just levels of the same phobia slash OCD? Also, can someone who fears touch ever have a fulfilling sexual intimate life with a partner? Thanks for all your hard work. Keep it up. Yeah, so I'll I'll try to get to these questions in this podcast episode. Okay, so first off, the there are many names for the fear of touch or for you know, and actually in the world of psychology, I feel like we have bad words, bad words. (laughs) I have no words for the bad words descriptions is that we, we use, we say fear of touch, but if you went to someone and said, do you have a fear of touch? They would say, no, I just hate touching. I, you know, it's the same with like, are, are you afraid of gay people? You know, homophobic. It's, I'm not afraid of gay people. I just think that they're sinning and they're, they're going to hell. So the the word phobia, I think, is overused. I think we should have some other word like dislike or something. But anyway, uh, all of the, quote-unquote, fear of touching uh, or the the touch aversion, the aversion to touching terms are the phobias. And there are so many words because, as I've said before in other episodes, understand that in the psychological world, we don't really have a – a, a, a body of of people and researchers who decide on the terms for phobias. So, when someone says, "Did you know that uh, fear of 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 uh, diet Pepsi?" There's a diet Pepsi in front of me right now. Did you know that they there's a th- there's a word for fear of diet Pepsi? They call it diet Pepsi phobia. I mean, can you believe? Yeah, I can believe it because anyone can invent any phobia, phobia name they want because there's no official list. And so, as a result, with the fear of touch, there are, let me count, there's like 10 different uh, terms that I found in the literature. One is halfophobia, that's the main one. Also, aphenophosmophobia, aphophobia, chirophobia, chi-rap-do, halfophobia, so not phobia, but hapheophobia, hapnophobia, hepta phobia, hapto wait, did I already say that one? No, hapto, didn't say hap said hapho, not haptophobia, and thixophobia. That's my favorite. Thixo, thixophobia. Thixophobia. Um, so yeah, there's many different words for it, but I don't really like these as I've said in previous podcasts. I don't really like these these Latin names, pretty pretty sure it's Latin. Because no one knows what half a phobia is, but everyone at least can have an idea of what fear of of um of touch means you know you don't have to what's half a phobia again blah 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 anyway, okay, so a common definition of half a phobia or the fear of touch is a specific phobia that involves the fear of touching or of being touched, so again. It's a specific phobia, meaning you have a phobia of a very specific thing in human experience that involves the fear of touching other people or other things or the fear of being touched yourself. So it's not just necessarily the fear of being touched or an aversion to being touched by other people, but also potentially an aversion to touching other people. People who suffer from this often fear all sorts of touching – from fear of just high-fiving someone, for instance, or fear of having sex with someone. While some have specific fears about specific things. So some people will say, I, I fear touching of any sort of any kind with any other human being. Whereas some people will say, I only fear this sort of touching with other people. And so it, it, it varies pretty widely among people. Okay, what's the onset some some people seem to be born with this phobia, although it's always hard to tell with that. But there seem to be some people who, from a very early age, will remember, and their parents will be able to attest to this, that they seem particularly averse to being touched. So some people seem to be born with it. But in my experience, and anecdotally, it seems that most people develop it after a trauma. Again, if you're a listener to this podcast, you know that Trauma, difficult experiences in life, scary experiences, can cause a lot of different complications psychologically, and one of them is the fear of being touched or difficulty with being touched by other people. Okay, so let's—so, you know, for instance, being raped, for instance, you can imagine that someone might develop a, a, an aversion to being touched. And again, I'm, try, I'm going to try to avoid using the terminology fear of being touched, because— for instance, I, I have a fear of—what uh, do I have a fear of? I've, I, when I'm in really high places and I look over the ledge, I have a, a fear response. And so I have a fear of heights. So I don't have a severe fear of heights, but we can understand that's a fear of heights, right? But, but being touched after a rape— you wouldn't say, oh, you're afraid of being touched. You would say, no, you have good information to tell you that being touched is a bad thing. <laughs> and so therefore it's it's an aversion to being touched or you know, or an informed, rational aversion to being touched. Anyway. So what are the causes of half a phobia or aversion to being touched? It is uh, according to the literature, some people propose that it's perhaps an exaggeration of the normal desire to protect your personal space. So for some people—and and I should really highlight that uh, another hypothesis of some people developing phobia is that they have—it's just a manifestation of OCD. So it's not related to trauma per se— it's that they developed ocd and the way their ocd is manifested is through a obsession or a compulsion around touching other people so for for those people for for everyone everyone has a need for personal space and and everyone needs to be clean for everyone likes to be clean no one likes to be filthy and with ocd it will exaggerate these, these tendencies. So if you have an exaggerated sense of personal space, then it might manifest in what we call half a phobia. Or if you have a desire to be clean, to wash your hands, with OCD added in, it exaggerates that need to the point of disorder. Okay. Also, so a fear, so a fear of, of your personal space being invaded or it could be an exaggerated fear of contamination. So OCD comes into play there too as well in terms of if you believe touching other people will lead to being contaminated, then you'll avoid being touched by other people. Another cause is it could be a fear of being invaded. If Again, particularly if you were traumatized, through some sexual or physical assault, or even if you were dominated emotionally by someone in your childhood. Say you had a very dominant parent who would invade your space a lot and invade your life a lot. You could manifest the uh, complex as a, an aversion to being touched. And again, it could be caused by a PTSD reaction, or a reaction to having been physically or sexually assaulted. I think I already said that. Okay, so what are the symptoms? The symptoms vary from person to person. It seems like a fairly diverse uh, disorder in that it has a has a lot of different presentations. So the, the common symptoms are basically any sort of stress reaction. Right? So if, if you're being touched, you might be uncomfortable or you might have a fight or flight response. You might start sweating. You might get nauseous. You might have difficulty breathing. Your heart might race. Your adrenaline might get going. You might get dizzy. You might panic. You might feel trapped. You might start to tremble. You might feel out of control. So it's basically any reaction that is common to any sort of fear or stress, this sort of thing. And this is important to know for people that that have that don't understand what half phobia is. It's not just a a minor sort of preference for yeah, don't touch me. Don't. It's it's not like Meh, If I had it my way, I wouldn't have to touch that gross person. It's not something like that. It's when they are touched without their consent, shall we say, or uh, and it's uncomfortable for them. It's not just a mild discomfort. We're talking about a massive fight or flight reaction from these people. It's it's overwhelming and undeniable. And for people who have other sorts of phobias or difficulties, they'll be able to ho- hopefully translate that. Like if you have a fear of needles, for instance, or you have a fear of of the dentist. Well, just translate that into a fear of being touched, and it's the same thing. If you have a fear of needles and someone just randomly came at you with a needle, like a, say say you, you go to the doctor's office and you're not expecting any needles to be poked in you, and then suddenly the nurse just comes up, just starts approaching you with a syringe because he thinks that you should get a particular shot and you didn't know that he was going to do that, in all likelihood, you would have a fight or flight response, you your, your heart would start racing, and, and, and you would defend yourself, you would say, don't, don't do that, don't do that, even if it was in your best interest. And so it, it's, it's the same with with the fear or the aversion to being touched is they have an extremely distressing reaction. It's, it's no joke. Okay, so maybe to help us understand, I'm going to read some more accounts from the internet people. This person wrote in and said, not to the podcast, but just to a forum on the fear of touch. Since I was 16, I felt like there was a strain to hold my boyfriend's hand in public. I hate hugs, and I don't like family members hugging me. I don't like touching of any kind. It hurts, and it's almost painful to me like a bee sting. I just started talking about it with my therapist, and she thinks it is a form of OCD. My relationships have suffered, and I feel lost. Okay, here's another one. When I was 11, I developed half-a-phobia. I shied away from my parents' gentle caresses. I sat alone at lunch to avoid the brushing of knees under the table. I absolutely detested touch of other people. I stay away from everyone now, so from these you can see that it's not again just a minor aversion to being touched It's an obsession for the, for these people this This person saying that they sat alone at lunch to avoid brushing the knees under the table. i mean, I, I would imagine that most of us don't like to be bumped or you know under the table from other kids, but for this person. The, the prospect of it was so difficult to deal with was they would avoid even sitting next to anyone. They would sit alone. And what this does is it isolates this person and makes them even more hurt and upset and alone. And so not so not only do the, does this per, do these people have, a lack of being touched in their life but they also lack socializing with other people and that's an important understanding here is that if you have a fear of touch that is going to affect all sorts of areas in your life if you don't have a way of approaching it if you don't have a healthy way of telling your friends look i i want to get together with you but i have this fear of being touched and so just don't just don't touch me and we'll be fine <laughs> most people are so ashamed Of their difficulty that they won't even know that it's okay to say such a thing or they worry about other people's reactions because frankly you're probably going to get a lot of weird reactions from people so so not only do they not get touched but they also uh, isolate to the point where they're just completely alone okay so let's go into some research here just a quick search on the research there's a, a study in Uh, by stack in 2010 and a study by tronic in 1995 and these, these studies in a nutshell basically show that touch is an essential way that parents regulate their infants behavior and emotions. So without when, when parents fail to touch their infants, not only can children actually die which they found. If you don't, like if a child is in an orphanage and no one is there to touch them, they're more likely to have uh, an early death for, for seemingly no other reason other than just not being touched. And uh, so so not only that severe uh, a consequence, but also it helps to regulate uh, behavior and emotions. When children are neglected of touch, they have more difficult Times with their emotions and more difficult behavioral presentations so it's very important for parents to have the normal amount of affectionate touch with their children okay here's another study in 1976 by Fisher et Al they examined students who came to the university library to pick up their library cards and so as the students were coming in to to get their library cards the library staff person either briefly touched the students when handing out their cards to the, to the students or handed out their, the library cards without touching them. So there was the control group of the people that were just given the cards without being touched. And then there was a group of people who briefly touched the students, like putting their hand on their shoulder or something like that. Then the researchers interviewed the students afterward, like a, an hour or two later. They found that students who were touched reported a much more positive affect and evaluated the library and its personnel more favorably than those who were not touched. So two effects here. Not only do the, did the students find the personnel to be much more uh, favorable, but th- like they liked the library staff much more because of the touch, but they also were in a better mood. They had a more positive affect, a more positive emotional state. So just a little bit of touch goes a long way. And if you're a a toucher, if you're aware of touch in your life, you understand this. You understand that when you see someone, uh, someone that you like, say at work even, and you shake hands or you do a side hug. Today I was at an internship fair and there were all these internship supervisors at our at my university trying to recruit interns. And so I was running in a lot of people I knew, including coworkers and professors. And just there was a, a lot of stuff going on. And when I was able to touch people, to hug people, to put my hand on their shoulder or them put their hand on my shoulder, it just felt so so much better. <laughs> I don't know how to speak English today, but it just felt great. It just feels grounding. It it instantly makes me feel at ease with the person. I feel connected to them. And our culture again, let me just rail again about how stupid our culture is. You know, if if I said to someone, "I'm going to go to this internship fair and I'm going to touch people." If I said that, you would get you would get a lot of sideways glances or or giggles or flat out judgment or someone saying you're a man don't touch people you know you're not entitled to that touching which of course male privilege you have to think about that but where you don't what you don't hear people say is hey when you go down to that internship fair today make sure you touch people because you know it it helps to helps everyone to feel better just make sure you touch people you're not going to hear that we live most of our lives, frankly, in the professional environment. If you're a professional, you live at least half of your life, if not 75% of your life, in professional environments in which we're so scared of, of touching and scared of a sexual harassment suit or something. And again, this isn't to denigrate sexual harassment suits because when they happen, they're often needed. and they, And sexual harassment often... Doesn't get reported. The vast majority of it doesn't get reported or prosecuted. So, I'm not. I'm not downplaying that. But it's made us so scared of normal touching that we avoid touching altogether. And, and you know, it, it, it's it's a it's a crisis in my opinion. Having said that, there are cases where even I and I'm not particularly averse to being touched by other people. In the professional environment, I've been touched and didn't like it. So it's not like all touching sh- is great and people should just, you know, touch with abandon. It's, it's it's something to think about, something to be careful about. But in general, I find that touching for, – for, y- 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 everyone probably knows someone like this where you, it's like, oh, you know – Jenny or Jane in the office she she's a hugger and she likes to touch people and I just really like her she just makes me feel so accepted and warm and safe there's there's people who have broken through the cultural ridiculousness and are able to touch people and hug people and and put you know their arm around someone in a way that doesn't creep them out and because we don't have that kind of touching in our culture we're not teaching our children how to touch each other in a way that is socially acceptable in a way that's empathetic in a way that values other people's boundaries. And so we have all these problems in our society because of it, all these bad touching and violence frankly. Is a is a is a way that some people actually get to touch people. It's it's when you're desiring touch and you're in denial of it, one way that it might come out is in violence, is in punching someone or strangling someone. And this is part of our problem in our society. Take a super masculine male, tell him he can't touch someone, tell him he can't even express his needs, tell him that if he has vulnerability there's something wrong with him, and inside of him is this, is this biological need to, to be touched, to cuddle, to have sex, sure, but also just to have affectionate, warm touching in their life, in his life. And see what happens to that volatile mix, a massive biological mandate for affectionate touch matched up with a massive cultural mandate to never acknowledge your needs or express certainly a need for affection. And just see what happens to that individual. See how much alcohol that person drinks. See see how much marijuana they smoke. See how much they obsess about sex because that's the one place where we allow men to actually have touch. See how much violence they get into. See, see how insecure they get. See how depressed they get. See how anxious they get. And this goes for women too, frankly, but particularly for men when it comes to touching, just let's just see what happens. Well, we can see it every day. And so we have to change our culture regarding touch. Anyway, another study 2009 by, guiguin or wiwen and vion medical patients who were touched were more compliant with treatment so they they it was a very involved study but the but the tagline is that the medical patients who were touched were more compliant with treatment so when you're trying to get a patient to take their medication or to go to physical therapy or something if if you touch patients in an affectionate way, they were more likely to comply with treatment. And so in a empirically based world, that this mandates that you touch your patients, or you incorporate touch into your consultations with them, because if it increases compliance, which is going to increase health for people, you have to do it. (sighs) Okay, I'm gonna get off my Oh, no, I'm still on my soapbox. I'm not getting off. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was gonna say I'm gonna get off my soapbox now, but yeah, you know me patrons. That shit ain't gonna happen. Okay, another study just last year, twenty fifteen, Pritchard et al. Here's this is the uh the the abstract. The background is quote in intensive care environments intensive care in hospitals in, in intensive care environments, patients' families are often encouraged to participate in their loved ones' care. However, many family members feel anxious, depressed, and unsure about how to help the patients. And then they conducted a study to to try to help this, and they found that administering a brief hand massage using pleasant-smelling oils to patients in intensive care unit may reduce anxiety of family members who administer the treatment. So this is a little confusing based on the way this is worded, but the study looked at did a a uh, experiment in which they had family members who came to intensive care patient family members you know so say a wife uh, her husband has been in a car accident and he's in intensive care the wife comes in and the wife is is anxious is depressed and unsure about how to help her husband she she's not in her environment she doesn't know what to do and so they measure that amount of anxiety. And then they say, okay, how about you take this, this nice hand lotion that smells nice and you uh, massage your husband's hands because you're not going to mess up his, his tubes and his casts and everything. Just Just massage his hands for five minutes. And this brings down family members' anxiety. This is obvious, right? So if you're in our medical world, if a woman said, I'm freaking out when I go to see my husband when he's in intensive care, I'm I'm terrified. In our world, we go, oh, okay, anxiety giver is annex, right? Or have a drink before you go. Or, I don't know, some other, or even cognitive behavioral therapy. Try to reassure yourself that everything's okay. da 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 Or... We can do probably the most effective thing, which is just have her give him a hand massage. Have her uh, give, make the bed extra big so she can lie next to him. Just something like this. This is going to not only help the family member, but obviously it's going to help the patient recover faster. It's just so obvious to me. I mean, why do you think everyone likes to go to massage therapists so much? I I personally think that the vast majority of people that are going to massage therapists are actually going because they lack affectionate touch in their life. I don't have any data on that, but the the advent of massage therapy as an industry in our society has been seemingly growing. Again, I don't have any data, so it's all just me just making stuff up in my head. But it seems as though it's growing, and... At the same time, we're becoming more and more touch-averse in our culture. And how many people who go to massage therapists actually need massage therapy? I would say, you know, a good number. I know people who go for back problems and this kind of thing. But how many people go just because they they need human touch? And it's it's a good way to get that. You get an hour of extreme personal touch of someone who cares about you and it and it relaxes you and makes you feel secure and safe. Another thing that I've talked about on podcasts before is there's such a thing called cuddling professionals. Basically, you pay someone to cuddle with you. Why are these things so prominent in our society? Why are they growing? Well, it's because we lack people in our lives to cuddle with. Why why would you need a professional to cuddle with you? When, it, 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 unless you had no one to cuddle with, this is a problem. We, you know, our natural state is a state of being in contact physically with other humans. I mean, just look at dogs. We're not that dissimilar from dogs. We're, we're, we're social like dogs. We, we are obsessed with others of our kind. And when dogs come into, when they see each other, they go crazy. And they want to touch, they want to jump on each other, and they want to smell each other, and they, they, want, to be, they want to be physically close. When two dogs see each other, they don't, they don't quietly stare at each other, <laughs> although I guess some dogs do. But most dogs, because they don't have the stupid culture that we do, they run at each other and smash into each other or smash their nose in the other person's butt or, you know, there's just, it's just a lot of physicality to it. And we are not any different from that. We're animals just like them. And when we see each other, I'm guessing our natural state is to touch each other, is to hug or to, to put our hand on each other or to hold hands or to i don't know just something ride on each other's backs or something but again with our with our anti-touch culture and our touch shaming culture frankly we just we don't get an opportunity for that and it's 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 a crime against humanity so after reading all the literature and just thinking about it myself I, I think that there are three types of this condition, three types of haphophobia, or three types of an aversion to touch. The first one is OCD. There are people who suffer from OCD f- for whatever reason, probably genetically or maybe was triggered by trauma or something, but they have sort of a classic presentation of OCD, and the thing, one of the things that they obsess on is touching other people. And these sorts of people... Tend to have a a lifetime of OCD that just sort of morphs into different obsessions. Like at one one moment they might be obsessed with cleanliness, and then a few years later they're they're obsessed with not touching other people. And so this is this is one type of person who has a problem with touching others. The other form of of half a phobia is the person who was sexually abused. And this is a no-brainer. If you've been traumatized by being touched by someone else, then it's natural that being touched by someone after being abused, you know, someone other than your your the perpetrator, that this will trigger that traumatic memory. So you know, if if you were traumatized, say in a car, like you got in a bad car accident. The next time you get in a car, you're going to have, in all likelihood, a PTSD reaction or a, tra- a trauma reaction. And if you were touched and raped, then in all likelihood, the next time you're touched by someone, it's going to trigger you and you're going to have a trauma reaction. Just makes sense, right? And then over time, over 10, 20, 30 years, this could develop into a very, a very rigid fear of being touched. So OCD and then, uh, is one type, and then the sexual abuse trauma history is, is the other one. And the third one is, a, is an interesting one that I think about sometimes, which is a fear of being fused with other people. In the family therapy world, we talk about enmeshment and fusion. And it basically, in a nutshell, it describes relationship types, particularly uh, uh, in your childhood, in which your Family is overly fused. There's not enough boundaries between the people. And what happens is people will have a fear of being engulfed by another person's personality, essentially. If you're 10 years old and your mother is telling you how to think, how to feel, is, is, is barging into your room, is uh, telling your friends secrets about you, is inquisitive about every detail of your life and gets upset when you don't tell them every detail of your life. If you've been in a relationship like this, you know what it's like, and it can be very distressing for a child. And one of the manifestations of the complex later in life can be a fear of being touched or an aversion to being touched because the, the touching basically triggers that relationship trauma of being engulfed by another person's personality. But there are other types too, other than the OCD or the sexual trauma or the fear of fusion, like someone who suffers from claustrophobia and equates touching with possible confinement. So if you have claustrophobia, fear of being in an elevator or on an airplane or just being confined. You, you could equate being touched as maybe they're going to maybe they're going to trap you so you have to keep everyone away from you in order to have the freedom to move also it could be a possible symptom of autism and sometimes autistic people will have an aversion to being touched being touched and the idea is that they're probably oversensitive to stimuli in general and one of the a stimulus that that will trigger uh, their sensitivity as being touched. There's, a, there's hypotheses that autism, it, part of its, its genesis is an over-sensitivity to stim- stimuli. They're over-sensitive to visual stimuli and auditory stimuli and, and touch stimuli. Uh, another possible type could be that someone with schizoid personality disorder. These people have difficulties with relating to other people and will sometimes avoid all contact with others, including being touched. So there's a lot of different paths to half a phobia. Okay. So let's get into the emailed questions from patron Hillary and Cindy. Here are the questions here. First question, why is it important to emotion to emotional health and what happens when it's lacking? Well, being touched, as I said before, is is a fundamental biological need that we have throughout our lives. I think I've emphasized that enough. I don't need to say that again. And again, without affectionate touch, we are likely to suffer from a number of biological and psychological and social problems, including anxiety, depression, stress, sleep problems, overeating, feeling rejected, feeling lonely, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's very important for for our mental and physical health. Another question, what treatment orientations incorporate it? Well, the short answer is not many for fear of a lawsuit or just general practices. There's not a lot of touch involved in in psychotherapy. But there are some exceptions. For instance, with children, there's often touching. If you're down on the ground and you're playing games with your six-year-old client there's likely there's a there's a high likelihood that you're going to be touching your client, meaning the client will will want to hug you, or the client will will bump into you, or you'll you, you just you'll if you are a, a therapist who works with children, you understand that you can't help yourself, but to touch a, to touch children when they're near you, you just can't help. It's just they're so cute. You just want to touch them they're they're playing with legos and you just put your hand on their back for a second you know it's not like you're rubbing their back you're just like you're just like just a little bit hey you know or they walk in the room and you kind of put your hand on their head or something and cuz it's just, they're just cute and you can't help it that that if you, if you're around children you understand that touching children is just it's just part of what happens it helps you to connect with them it makes you feel better and uh so I think people understand that. And I, I, I actually, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but when, when p- kids enter puberty, that's when we stop touching them. That's when parents stop touching their children. And it's because of our puritan, puritanistic, puritanical, <laughs> I can't talk today, our puritanical ridiculousness around sexuality. So children are supposedly without sexuality, even though they do have sexuality, but we believe they don't have sexuality, and therefore touching is okay. As soon as a kid hits 13, you can never touch them again, is is the way our culture is. Anyway, um, some therapists and clients will hug sometimes. I've talked about this in other episodes in which... We go into the de- details and the ethics on this. There, there are some clients and some therapists who will initiate hugs with their between therapists and clients. So that'll happen sometimes, usually on the way out the door. I personally don't initiate hugs, but if someone initiates a hug with me, I will usually reciprocate. But I'm not um, super enthusiastic about it because it's it's a it's sort of a touchy area, so to speak, and. Um, I don't know. It's just not the sort of therapist I want to be. And as I talk about this episode, I'm like, well, why not? And I just have to say, because of lawsuits, I don't want to be sued over it. I don't want to create a situation. It's, it's a much easier road as a therapist to just avoid touching your clients. It's, it's just easier that way. The, the, the therapeutic power of touching my clients could absolutely accelerate therapy. But am I willing as a therapist, as a man, to take a risk around that? No, I'm not. So I'm not going to do it. Um, Some therapists I know will sit with their clients and hold their hands. When a client is going through a difficult time, the therapist will move over to the couch and sit next to the client and hold their hand. That happens sometimes. So uh, I've also heard some disasters around that. I've had people come to me and said, so I went to a therapist and they... They came to the my side of the room and held my hand while I was crying and it just felt really weird and I didn't know what to say. So you have to be careful about that. Some therapists will use touch in group therapy, like not touching, touching, but like group activities where you're, you're, I don't know, I don't know, just various different activities, drama therapy kind of stuff. Also, dance movement therapists will use touch sometimes. They usually will put an object in between you. So in the dance movement therapy episode which we made jeez almost 7 years ago, I guess 7 years ago. We did different things where for instance uh the dance movement therapist Leif Telman, he had us put a big it's almost like a big rubber band, but it's like a huge sort of fabric thing and you both get inside of it at one end and and you stretch out the rubber band thing together. And even though you're not physically touching the other person, you, you can feel them through this big rubber band. And it's a form of of intimate affectionate touch with other people. So sometimes dance movement therapists will do that in groups. And I should mention that it was different in the 1970s. Back then, there were all sorts of touching things going on in the humanistic psychology movement. And I've even seen some really horrible abuses of this, like in a group therapy situation where they would have all these people in a room just doing primal screams and stuff. And I saw this one where this male therapist was shoving with his whole entire body, a female client up against the wall. It, it just looked awful. I mean, who am I to say that this wasn't really helpful and consensual for everyone involved, but it, it, it didn't look good, <laughs> and so there were things there were more things going on back then since the seventies we've just become extremely conservative. We like to think of ourselves as like oh we're we're so progressed right now, but in in some ways, we went backwards and I would say when it comes to touch, not like not as if we should be shoving people up against the wall, but I'm just saying it it seems to me that in the past people were much more open to uh, or they were much less afraid of lawsuits. Let's just put it that way. And and had more freedom in terms of delivering services to people. Now, having said all that, there there are probably some specific therapies that involve touch, like some sort of somatic therapy. I know some body therapies involve touching between clients and therapists, but I'm not really aware of them personally. So... Uh, I can't really speak to them that much. I do know with a sort of Reikian somatic body therapy, I know that, uh, and we actually did an episode on this, I don't know how long ago, with our friend Jeffrey up north in Bellingham, He was demonstrating this one where he put Birdo on the floor and had Birdo kind of do a mindfulness exercise. And then Jeff Jeffrey uh, shoved his thumbs into... The inside of his eye sockets, <laughs> like near his near the bridge of his nose, really hard, <laughs> and apparently this is a form of therapy you know you can you can sort of take that or leave it I suppose but but and so I think he said that that's what that's what his therapist did to him, and that's the sort of therapy he was being trained in. so I know that somatic Reiki and you know Wilhelm Reich, I think is the guy's name anyway. But outside of the psychotherapeutic profession, outside of the therapy profession, there are many organizations that focus on the healing power of touch because they are much less afraid of being sued. For instance, there's this thing called the cuddle party or just cuddle party or something. And from the internet... Website. It said that once a month in various cities in the U.S., they have cuddle parties in which people cuddle with each other non-sexually. It's very clear. It's non-sexual. And the website says, A trained facilitator gently leads you and other guests through an orientation where you'll learn to make easy, respectful requests and communicate clear boundaries and where we'll go over the simple rules. Cuddle cuddle party is not a sexual event. Everyone remains clothed in pajamas and agrees to the cuddle party rules, which include, you don't have to cuddle anyone you don't want to, or anyone at all. Most cuddle parties, unless otherwise specified, include both men and women, about 10 to 25 people, and are held at private homes here in Seattle. They last about three and a half hours. (laughs) three and a half hours of cuddling randos. I mean, you know, again, why are there cuddle parties? It's because we lack touch in our normal lives, people. I'm guessing other cultures that don't have such a puritanical bent or a worry of lawsuits do not need cuddle parties because they have enough affectionate touch in their life anyway. Also, it should be mentioned that many of the so-called alternative medicines involve the healing power of touch, things like energy practitioners or therapeutic touch or acupuncture, for that matter, or massage therapy, as I said earlier. Even chiropractors, you could say, use the healing power of touch. And there are many more. And many of these people, like the energy therapy people, will make claims that they are utilizing the natural aura around you. and These sorts of things are unsupported by science. But the one thing you can say that I can actually 100% get behind and have science to support is that these people are kind, they're nurturing, and they're touching, and they're taking care of you. When you go to the chiropractor and you're tense and you're, you're stressed out and you're worried and the chiropractor is calm and nice to you and listens and then touches you in a healing way they're trying to they're trying to help you and they put their hands on you and like for instance imagine you went to the chiro- imagine that there was a robot chiropractor and the robot didn't talk you just got into the machine and the thing just like quote-unquote, realigned you or whatever. I'm guessing that it would not have nearly the effect that going to a human being would. And a lot of these energy practitioners, and and frankly even acupuncture, and there's been studies on this, that, that when you provide what they call sham acupuncture, in which you don't actually pierce, you don't put the you don't put the needles in far enough. You just put them on the surface, and you put them just sort of randomly all over the place without adhering to any kind of practice. They find that it actually can help people's pain, or it can help people's stress level, or it can help people's whatever it is that acupuncture you know is claiming to help. Because when you're when you're putting the the pins and needles, I don't even know what you call them the, the acupuncture instruments into people's bodies, you're all you're also touching them you're actually touching the people and you're and you're being caring to that person and you're listening to that person and the person is laying on a table without any cell phone hopefully and they're listening to nice music and you know it's there's dim lighting and th- these conditions many of which are empirically shown to help with a lot of things involving stress and pain and digestion and concentration and sleep and all these kinds of things are potentially enhanced through, through touch. And these other kinds of uh, practices might, sometimes that might be the only thing that's actually occurring. Now, I don't know enough about acupuncture and energy, blah, 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 to, to comment that much about it. But, um, so, you know, if a chiropractor or a acupuncture person were here, I'm sure they would say, no, 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 but I, I don't know what they'd say, frankly. Okay. So getting back to the patron question, is the fear of touch different from the dislike of touch, or are they just levels of the same phobia? So in, in other words, the you know, like screaming at any touch, is, is, that, is that different or just a different manifestation of a slight recoiling from an airport pat-down? Well, in the in the research literature it appears that there are many opinions about this, but it seems to me that there that these two different presentations are just different presentations of the same overall phenomenon of halaphobia. And really it's it's more useful to know where it comes from and more useful to personalize the symptom description than to than to categorize things. I actually don't like typologies that much because what we can do is we we can become obsessed with the typology rather than obsessed with what's really important which is listening to the client and really hearing their unique experiences you know what's that phrase the the map is not the terrain i, I think that's the i think that's the phrase essentially it's like what the reason why we have categories is so that we can understand human experience more not the other way around. We don't, we don't match human experience to categories. We match categories to human experience. And so, so however you want to see it is fine. You could see these two different presentations of aversion to touch as being separate or the same. It doesn't really matter. But the important thing is, is to really listen to people and understand and, and understand where it comes from understand, try to figure out if it's an OCD-related presentation or a trauma-related presentation or an enmeshment fusion presentation. You want to understand where it comes from. I think that's more important than understanding uh, the, this. Well, you need both. You need to understand the severity, and you also need to understand where it comes from because that will drive treatment, right? Because if it's PTSD or trauma, then you should focus on trauma recovery, which usually involves emotional awareness, emotional regulation, imaginal exposure, and other CBT mindfulness stuff. And if it's just OCD, then you don't want to do trauma recovery with that because it's OCD. You want to try cognitive behavioral therapy and maybe medication. And if it's fusion meshment, meaning that they have been emotionally invaded throughout their lives by people in their family, then you want to use relational therapy and or family therapy or couple therapy. You you might want to bring the whole family in and say, look, you got to allow this person to have more boundaries because they they have a natural need for space and emotional space and, and psychological space. And without that, you're going to see these kinds of symptoms. So it really depends on where it's coming from. That's an important thing to understand. And the last patron question here is, can someone who fears touch ever have a fulfilling sexual life with a partner? And the answer is yes. I know people who continue to have this fear, but manage it so that they can have a fulfilling sexual life. So they manage their their aversion to touch in a self-aware way, in a, in a way that helps them to cope with it. And they are able to have a, a, a long-term intimate relationship with, with someone that's fulfilling. Okay, well, what's the final word on aversion to touch or half a phobia or fear of touch? I think the final word that I'll say is to remember that it's no joke for people, that it is it is a severe condition in many people and can ruin their lives, as we've heard from people that wrote on different public forums that they become suicidal, they become isolated as a, from an early age as a child, and it's it's really no joke. It can be extremely debilitating for people, and they need help. The other thing I can say is that it, in my estimation, can be easily treated. It might take a while, but if you understand the genesis of it, in terms of you know whether it's PTSD, OCD, or family-oriented, then that gives a fairly good direction for therapy. And I know that those therapies empirically and anecdotally in my life work very well. So it can be treated. And how wonderful could it be for someone to have this, this condition go away or at least become manageable to the point where they can get their knees met regarding touch? All right, well, that does it for yet another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And remember that if you have topic ideas, feel free to email me. And also remember that if you, as a patron, send me an idea, I absolutely add it to the list. It might take me a while to get to it, though, because the list is long. <laughs> and it just remember that it might take a little bit of time. And I'm also quite busy at my university being... Head of my department and teaching and my practice and so it sometimes just takes some time so it might even actually be six months later so you just have to be patient but you're definitely on the list uh, but feel free to remind me that's fine too that's I'm I'm open to reminders there's nothing wrong with reminders <laughs> all right take care of yourself out there you know you deserve it because I've told you a billion times you really you really do know that make sure you get your knees met out there regarding touch and and otherwise. All right. See ya.